Finish, Brother Haiku. Good evening. How are y'all doing? Let's take our Bibles tonight and open up to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter two. I think we're about to move off the Antichrist and get on to something else. Just a couple verses just to get started and we'll go from there. Verse number 11 says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Brother Val, would you pray and ask God to bless the message? Amen. As you're being seated, if you would, turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This, uh, Brother Sam hit on this thing this morning about, our, about the Lord and him humbling himself and taking upon the form of a servant and talking about the downward path of the Christian life and getting lower and lower and lower. And as, as I was listening to him and thinking about it, I began to think about the, where I've been at in 2 Thessalonians with the deception of the Antichrist, the deception of the devil, and him trying to counterfeit everything the Lord does. And as I began to listen to him and think about it, you know, the devil tries to tell you to lift yourself up, to be positive, to do better and better yourself, be the better man. And it's always a very positive message. And... I got to thinking about it, and the reality is, if you follow his method, you're going to take a downward path anyway. So both paths lead downward. The right path goes down, and the wrong path goes down. It's just the right path, when it gets to the bottom, it leads you back up to the Lord Jesus Christ. The other one leads you to yourself. And so I want to show you that here in Romans chapter 1. Look in Romans chapter 1 and look in verse 21. Look in verse, uh, back up to verse 19. It says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but, in their, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Now watch this. It goes from the biggest thing to the smallest thing, from the incorruptible man to the birds to the four-footed beast and to the creeping things. And so both pathways go to the bottom, but only one pathway goes up. The devil wants you to think you can go up without going down. 1 Peter 5 tells us we have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You don't get to exalt yourself. Promotion cometh neither from the south nor from the east nor from the west, but God. Well, that goes completely contrary to everything you've been taught in society today, everything the world teaches you about lifting yourself up, setting yourselves back up, and getting back to where you belong, to get back to your place. You know, you, you deserve this. You've earned the right for this. You've, you know, if, if somebody's held you down is why you're in the position that you're in. Some, somebody's discriminated against you. Somebody's, you know, if, if it wasn't for so-and-so, you'd be here. It's always somebody else's fault. Turn back over to 2 Thessalonians 2, but I just want to hit on this before I move on to the next verse. Just because it, both pathways still go down. So, so whether you choose to walk with Jesus Christ or choose to walk with yourself, you're still going downward. You're not going up either way. The only way you're going up is through the Lord Jesus Christ at the rapture. The only way you're getting back to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ in, in, in your in. in by trusting Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And the only way you'll be exalted at the judgment seat of Christ is to go down with Him now, and then He'll exalt you at the judgment seat of Christ, and you'll get a reward for it. You'll have, you'll have done something to earn it, 
because you will have humbled yourself instead of you just taking the natural path, which is downward. The other thing that I want you to see in that is it, it goes completely contrary to what man teaches about evolution. Man teaches things are getting better and things are improving and, you know, stuff is going more, more and more wonderfully and the world's just getting to be a better, better place. And they use examples of technology to show how we're a better world. No, man's getting worse and worse and worse. We're just devolving. If you don't take care of yourself, you go out earlier. If you don't do something to take care of your physical body, your physical body does not get better the older you get. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. You have to get up and go to the gym. You have to get up. You have to watch what you eat. You can't, you know, I watch my kids run around and they can eat all the garbage in the world they want and, you know, lose three pounds the next day. And I eat a half a slice of pizza and I'll be up three pounds the next day. It's, well, if I'm improving, why is my system not getting better and better and better and learning how to process what I'm giving it? No, it's because my system doesn't require it because it's getting worse and worse and worse. So it's getting tired and tired and tired and it's getting ready to go back where it came from, which is the ground. And so what Brother Sam taught you this morning is absolutely right. Our responsibility as, as saved people is to work on getting down to where God can go, hey, this is, I want to lift you back up. God will put you in the place he wants you. I, I heard this said many years ago, and it stuck with me, but if God calls you to be a ditch digger, you'll have to step down to be president. Anywhere you put yourself that's not where God wants you to be is out of the will of God. And that's what the devil wants you to do. He just wants you to get out of the will of God. He just wants you to get just one degree out of where God wants you to be so you're not in the perfect will of God, so you can't earn a perfect reward. John says, be careful that you lose not the things that you've wrought. Don't, don't, don't allow what, you're, what God's doing in your life to fall by the wayside and go back to the place you came from. No, keep working on it, keep trying, keep, keep pushing. The Christian life is not a one and done, hey, I hit, I hit the level, I'm good. You know, this isn't Amway, well, I made it this plateau and I'm going to earn this. No, you have to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. But it, God does work on compound interest. And the more you give and the more you put in, guess what? It grows increasingly, increasingly, increasingly. And sooner or later, it's, your growth is outpacing what you are capable of and you get up there and you go, Lord, I don't deserve this. And he goes, no, you did this and you did this and you did what I said. 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 And then, you, you know what? Then you can be like Paul in 2 Timothy and go, you know what? There's a crown waiting on me. There's not a doubt about whether it, that, that, I, I think that, I think that amazes me. The apostle Paul at his death could be so confident that he could stand there and know, you know what? I'm fixing to get my head cut off, but there's something waiting for me. Because he knew he had done what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to do it. I'm not saying the Apostle Paul was perfect. Clearly he wasn't. He went to Jerusalem when God said, don't go down there. God said, don't go to Jerusalem or you're going to get your head cut off. And he goes, I'm going anyway. Guess what? Paul lost a portion of his ministry because he went where God told him not to go. And he, guess what? He still earned rewards. He still knew he was getting a crown. He still, God, he, he still could lay on his bed and go, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Why? Because when he messed up, he got up, he fessed up, and he went on. He didn't just throw in the towel and go, well, God's done with me. I'm out of the will of God. No, he just kept going. He kept moving on. He kept pressing on. I think, you know, I, I thought about that. I mentioned during the, the Jubilee briefly, but that, that guy, John Mark. You go, oh, well, he missed out on nine years of ministry with the Apostle Paul. Yeah, he did. But you know what he got? He got nine years of ministry with Barnabas. Ain't a bad guy to be following. He's getting, he's, he gets to minister, and, then, and you know what? At the end, Paul goes, hey, bring him, bring him back around. He, he's profitable for me for the ministry. And you, and you and I go, well, he missed out on nine years. No, he was learning something from somebody else, and then God put him back somewhere else to be able to learn something else from somebody else right at the very end. And now he has the best of both that he can go apply and do something with it in his ministry. And he winds up writing the gospel of a servant, the book of Mark. He winds up being the guy to tell you what it's like to serve because he learned to play number two in both places. He played second fiddle for both, for both teams. And he's still victorious in the Christian life. Listen, the Christian life is not one that, hey, you fall down and you're out. No, the Christian life is you fall down, you get up, 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 you fall down, you get up. And guess what? It's about 8 o'clock in the morning. 
and you do that about 150 more times throughout the day, and then you get up through the day, and you get up tomorrow morning, you go, you know, I'm going to fall down, so I'm going to get up, and I'm going to fall down, I'm going to get up. The, the man's righteous because he keeps getting up, not because he fell down. It's a shame for you and I to stop trying because we messed up. To go, well, I might as well throw in the towel for today. No, throw in the towel for that minute, throw it under the blood, and keep moving. But the Antichrist wants you to go, ah, you know, it's, well, you're out, you're done now, God's done with you. You know, he can't use you anymore, you're out of fellowship. No, I've seen God use somebody who's completely out of fellowship to witness to somebody and see that person get saved. I've seen a drunk guy witness to a, another drunk guy and lead the drunk guy to the Lord. The drunk guy's out of fellowship, God still used him and got somebody else saved. Hopefully they both got sobered up when it was over with, but... Listen, God can use whatever vehicle He wants to use. doesn't mean that you and I can go do whatever we want to go do. But we have a responsibility if we desire to earn a reward of the judgment seat of Christ, if we desire to have something to, to cast back at His feet when we stand in front of Him, it means it requires effort on my part and your part. You're going to have to get up and keep going and keep going and keep going. And then Antichrist is going to go, no, just sit down. You know, as long as I'm just a moral person, it's a great thing. Look here in 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2 and look down at verse 13. It says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. Paul, Paul is thankful for the church at Thessalonica. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Calvinists jump right off in this passage and go, see, from the beginning, from the beginning. That's not what he said. He says, from the beginning you're chosen, but why are you chosen? Paul's contrasting the church at Thessalonica because the guys in verses 10, 11, and 12, they didn't believe the truth. Isn't that what it says in verse 10? Because they, they received not the love of the truth? Well, what does it say about them in verse 13? Because you have belief in the truth. They're saved because they believe what Paul said about Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world. They get sanctified because they believe that Jesus Christ was a Savior. Not from the beginning of the world He chose them. No, from the beginning of Paul's ministry when he began to preach, when he began to preach to them, they go, you know what? This guy's telling us the truth. We're going to accept it. And they get in and they get to stay in and they get, and they get to be there. You know, I think that's what... But if you're not studying your Bible and somebody who's been studying the Bible, though it may be the wrong Bible or though it may be the wrong doctrine, comes to you and has a conversation and throws something like that at you, if you're not prepared, you kind of go, well, maybe he's right, or maybe he begins to cast doubt in your head. Well, why would it cast doubt if you know that you have free will? See, a Calvinist is a Calvinist for everybody but himself. A Calvinist believes everybody is chosen before the foundation of the world, saved or lost, and, you know, but he has his own free will after salvation. No, if, if, I'm, if it's foreordained and God predestinated everything, then everything I do is not my fault. So how can God hold me accountable for something that's not my fault if God already preordained it? What kind of God is that? It's not. He's an unjust God. But you and I are supposed to be able to give an answer of the hope that's in us. And if somebody comes to you with this, with this false hope, how are you going to answer them if you don't know how to answer them? Well, in this, in this verse, in verse 13, it's real easy. From the beginning. Turn over to uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Just because he says from the beginning, it doesn't mean from the beginning of the world. See, every time a Calvinist sees from the beginning or in the beginning or the foundation of the world, he automatically goes back to sometime, you know, before God created the heaven and the earth. Like, he just, well, beginning, oh, we're back Genesis 1-1. Well, no, that's not what Paul says. Look in, look in John chapter 8. Look down in verse 25. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto him, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. Well, when did Jesus talk to them from the beginning? Those people weren't alive in Genesis 1-1. No, from the beginning of his ministry. He's talking to him from the beginning of his ministry, from when he began to preach. From the beginning I've told you who I am, not the beginning of the foundation of the world. He's speaking to a group of people who are asking him questions, and he goes, hey, since I've been here, I've told you who I was. Look at verse number 44. 
year of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you, you will do, he was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. Well, who was a murderer from the beginning? The devil wasn't a murderer before the foundation of the world. When did he become a murderer? When Cain killed Abel. Well, that's after the foundation of the world. That's after Adam and Eve fell in the garden. That's sometime after those boys were grown up. So it's not from the beginning of the foundation of the world. No, it's from a place in time that it's from the beginning. Look at John chapter 15. Look at verse 26. It says, But when the Comforter has come, Him I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father. He shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Well, who's the ye? That's the disciples there. Well, the disciples haven't been with them from the beginning of the world. They weren't from the, the foundation, before the foundation of the world. They weren't there with him. They weren't there when, he, when God flung the star clusters and made the sun and the moon and the universe and the roses and the lilies and the lakes and the seas. They weren't there. No, this from the beginning of his ministry. Since they've begun to walk with Jesus, you've seen everything I've done. Well, that's from the beginning. So go back over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Chosen you to salvation through the, through the, from the, hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So you're chosen through sanctification, through your belief in the truth. So it, it's conditional. It's conditioned that you have to believe the gospel of the Apostle Paul. It's not conditional on some unconditional election before the foundation of the world like Brother Russell was teaching this morning at Sunday school in that tulip thing. It's not unconditional. No, it's conditioned upon you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died, was buried, and rose again the third day. It's, a, uh, it's what you and I have to do. Look in verse 14. He says, Whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Called by our gospel. What's Paul's gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, right? How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures was buried and rose again. You know, that gospel is 75% negative. Christ died for our sins, was buried. Those are three negative things. One thing's positive. He rose again. That's completely contrary to what the world teaches, teaches today. The love of God, the love of God, the love of God. No, Jesus Christ suffered and died. That was, it wasn't like he just laid down his life and stopped, went to sleep and stopped breathing. It was a painful, just bitter, miserable death that he suffered. There, some, yes, you and I get the good on the back end of it, but Jesus Christ, our Savior, endured a whole lot of stuff. Well, if he endured it, don't you think you and I are going to go through some things in our Christian lives? Don't you think that, that the fellowship of his sufferings, isn't that what, the, what Brother Sam was in Philippians this morning? The power of the resurrection, the power of the cross, that you and I are going to have to endure some stuff and have to go through some things in our Christian life? Yeah, we are. And, but the world wants to tell you, hey, it's okay, you don't have to do that. You know, in electricity, you can go out there to that high wire that's up there on the top of that pole, and if you don't touch anything else, you can hang on it. You can hang on it all day long, you can bounce up and down, everything else, but the minute you get grounded... The minute your feet touch the negative, it'll kill you. So guess what? You can hang on all the positive stuff you want and it won't hurt you. But the minute you get a hold of the negative, you're done. Yeah, Romans 1.20, from the creation of the world. The Lord knew, that, the Lord knew you were going to need a negative. You know, what you, do, you know what you have at your house? You have a ground. You have a rod that goes into the ground to ground the electrical current so that when you plug the vacuum in or the coffee maker or whatever else you plug in, your computer or TV or whatever else you plug in, it works. If you don't have a ground, guess what? You don't have lights. You have to have a ground. You have to have something that goes into the ground that grounds you and centers you and gives you a foundation to go, you know what? Now it's stable. Now it can be used. Now you can do something with it. 
And the world goes, no, just positive, 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 positive. No, it's not all positive. You've got to have something negative. Look there in the end of verse 14. He says, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that glory? Look over at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy 2 verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Look over at uh, Titus 2. Titus 2 and verse 13, he says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, one more place, turn over to Romans chapter 8. Or no, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what you and I are supposed to be hoping in tonight. We're supposed to be hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're supposed to be looking for the day that He gets the glory. Look in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15. It says, For all things are for your sakes, that, through the, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You and I are supposed to have a look towards heaven. If that's where your look is, it keeps you grounded in everything that you're doing. It keeps in perspective who you really are. Because when you keep Him and you see Him on the throne and you remember that's where I'm headed to, that all of this other stuff that's going on is just periphery, how much of the stuff you go through on a daily basis really has no eternal value whatsoever? You know how to make it have eternal value? By doing it the way the Lord Jesus Christ would have you to do it. By having the right attitude about what He's having you do. You know, if the Lord's got you in a place and He's got you a job, your attitude of that job says something about your Savior. If you go to work miserable on Monday morning, oh, it's just me. I'm just not a morning person. That's an excuse. Why aren't you a morning person? The Lord Jesus Christ saves you. You're not going to hell. It came to pass. This job is just for a minute. And the rapture could literally happen any time and you would be, and you wouldn't have to worry about that job anymore. So our light affliction, he says, our light affliction. If it's a bad job, and the Lord says, stay there, then stay there. If He says it's a bad job, pray and see if the Lord will give you a new one. But it's that light affliction, that little bit of misery. Do you really want your testimony to be? Well, that guy was just miserable all the time. That, that guy, he's never had anything. It was always bad. I don't want to be around somebody who it's always bad. I, I don't want to be, I, every time I have a conversation with, with a person and, and their response is some contrarian statement, well, yeah, you know, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, we talk about the weather. I'll use that as an example. Well, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's 70 degrees outside and sunny. Yeah, I sure wish it was a little bit cooler. Or, you know, I, it's, you know, the fish don't bite when it's, it's just not quite cold enough to be in the woods deer hunting right now. I mean, it, you know, I know it's 70 and it's pretty, but it sure would be nice if it was about 55. Like, hey man, you're breathing, you're walking around, you're not in a wheelchair, you're, you live in America. Like, look across the rest of the world for, for two seconds and see how blessed you are. You didn't have to worry about sneaking onto our property tonight to be able to be here to fellowship. We're not in some dark room with a single light bulb reading a Bible from one page going, man, I hope the government doesn't find us. Now, it may get to that at some point in time, but it's not there tonight. It's not there, and it won't be there tomorrow, and it probably won't be there the day after that. So why are you so miserable and down in the dumps about being saved? Why does it bother you that, oh, I don't get it my way? You're not supposed to get it your way. And even if you think you get it your way, you're still not getting it your way. 
So why not just surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and do what He's called you to do and walk the way He wants you to walk? Why not just be happy that, you know what, I don't have to make decisions anymore. Lord, what do you want from me? Yes, sir, let's go on. But too often times we get upset that we're not happy about, well, you know, uh, it's just, I mean, I just don't get to do that anymore. Okay, well, you get to do 10 million other things. Like, I've never had more fun being a Christian than I did having being lost. I, I mean, there was nothing, there's nothing from my lost days or even out of fellowship days that I look back and go, man, I wish I could go do that again. No, like, all of that stuff just leads to misery. It leads to just moments of like, man, that was miserable. Yeah, the Bible says sin's pleasurable for a season, but guess what? As soon as the season's over with, there's a big empty hole left over. There's a big donut left when you're not in fellowship with Jesus Christ. There's a big emptiness going, man, that was great. And You know what? A victory is sweeter when Jesus is the one who gives you the victory. <laughs> there was nothing sweeter than me than seeing our, our church have the jubilee in that building. To know that every step of the way, the Lord did something along the way to get us in that building. We didn't get to have a jubilee because Woodard did anything great. No, we did have the jubilee in spite of Woodard. I did everything to mess that thing up and God still did something. Just ask the preacher. But the Christian life is a great life. Yeah, it's tough, but life in general is tough. How a lost man walks through the day with nothing to hold his head up, nothing to lay his head upon, nothing to stand upon, and just drifts through life? I can't imagine that misery. To go through life with a hole in the middle going, I can't ever fill this thing. I can't ever find the bottom of this. I can't, I can't ever find full happiness. Yeah, I have moments of happiness, but I never have real joy. Man, there's, there's something about being saved that is just, just utterly wonderful. And there's a joy. I, when I lay my head on my pillow at night, I don't worry about whether I get up tomorrow or not. My wife may worry about whether I get up tomorrow or not, but I don't. Because I know where I'm going. It's somewhere better than this. We're looking for that glorious hope of our great God and Savior. Look in verse 15, back in 2 Thessalonians. I'm going to try to get through the rest of this tonight. He says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold their traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. The Apostle Paul talks about traditions here. And um, his traditions would be in line with Old Testament scripture and stuff he's teaching to the church. Brother Sam covered a lot of that in, uh, in um, Colossians that he just finished. And so I'm not going to try to go back over all that. But some of the things here in this passage, I want you to see some traditions that Paul's teaching to the church at Thessalonica. Look down in chapter 3, verse 6. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. So somebody who walks disorderly, get away from them. Somebody who creates disorder and chaos in your life, get away from them. If they're not pushing you towards Jesus Christ, just remove yourself from them. Just avoid them. Don't have, listen, you don't have to talk to everybody. Sometimes it's best just to block their number and don't talk to them anymore. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't block a number. Thou shalt not block my number. I haven't seen that one yet. Look down in verse 10. Here's another tradition. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That's a Christian tradition. If a man don't work, he shouldn't eat. That ain't a worldly tradition. A worldly tradition says to everybody needs to be taken care of, everybody deserves a meal, everybody deserves food. No, if a man don't work, he shouldn't eat. Now listen, I get there's times you're sick, you're down, you're disabled, and I get that, you know, but everybody wants to be the exception, nobody wants to be the rule. Everybody wants to be the outlier. Well, you know, I'm the exception. No, no, no. The rule is, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. You want to know what? If somebody's going to come try to date one of my daughters, they need to have a job. Now, they're about five to ten years away from that ever happening. But when you come to my house, you'd better have a job before you come to my house. Because my daughter's not paying for dinner if I allow you to take my daughter out to dinner when she's 25. 
Listen, this idea of going Dutch, whatever that garbage is, no, where is the chivalry, where is a Christian man raising up and going, you know what, that woman's a prize and I'm gonna, I want to pay for it and I'm willing to pay for it. Jacob worked 14 years for the woman that he loved. If a man ain't willing to work, he shouldn't eat. But that's a tradition that's just gone by the wayside. You know, we, I mean, yeah, well, the church, the benevolence fund. You know, I'm, I'm down on my luck. Why are you down on your luck? Did you put yourself there? Listen, I, I get that there are times and situations, but too many people stay in the ditch and never get out of the ditch and never do anything to move beyond the ditch. And it's, all of a sudden it becomes our, our problem to, to drag you along because you won't get yourself out of the ditch. You know, I just can't keep a job. I'm just discriminated against because I preach the gospel. Hey, you're on a job, quit preaching the gospel. The gospel is your testimony. And your testimony is you would rather talk about Jesus than work. Well, guess what? If you're on my job and you want to talk about Jesus, do it on your lunch break, not on my time. And I'm a Christian. Guess what? I'm not paying you to witness to everybody. And you know what? I've never seen a lost guy get saved in the middle of a job when he's supposed to be working. Those guys that have a testimony are guys that work. They study when, they, when they're supposed to study, but when it's time to work, they work. You know what I know about most Christians who witness on the job? They're doing it because they, do they don't want to do their job. God called me to preach, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, need, I need to give them the gospel. No, you don't. You're on somebody else's time in that moment. A man's paying you to do a job, do the job. A woman's paying you to do a job, do a job. Now, if they let you put your earbuds and listen to preaching or listen to the, the Bible, whatever, praise the Lord, that's a blessing. But when it begins to interfere with your work, it's got to be set aside. If your testimony is that you're a lousy worker, then the, your testimony is you're a lousy Christian. If you bounce from job to job to job to job, I would say something's probably wrong with you, not wrong with the rest of the world. just haven't found the right fit yet. Maybe it's because you think everybody should cater to you instead of you doing for everybody else. We have this society, we, I, I'm already in chapter 3 and I'm, I'm skipping way ahead, but, but we have this idea that, that everybody's supposed to take care of us. This me, this me idea, this me-ism that, well, you know, I mean, I, I have my rights. Do you realize that in the Bible the workday was 12 hours? Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? When he tells the parable of the guys going into the vineyard, when does the guy start? Starts early in the morning, and when's the last guy go in? In the 11th hour, and he works what? One hour. That means there's a guy in the morning that worked a 12-hour day. How is he able to work a 12-hour day? Because his wife was at home doing what she needed to do to take care of those kind of things. But he was able to do that because that's what God called him to do. He was able to work a 12-hour day because that's what was required of him to work was a 12-hour day. You and I get to work an 8-hour day and we have an excuse that, well, we just can't make it through 8 hours. The 4-hour work week. That's a, a New York Times bestseller is the 4-hour work week. That ain't Bible. Bible says if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. If you can get everything done, you need to get on your done, done for your job in 4 hours, go find another job and be more productive. Or ask God what He wants you to do to be more productive. Maybe you, maybe you only have to work four hours of secular, and now you can work, what is that, six times 12 is 72? So now you can work 68 hours for the Lord? Praise the Lord. Get busy. But no, it's, well, I need me time. I need downtime. Hey, our retirement is not here. Our retirement is not this life. This is not the place to be comfortable. This is the place to push through and strive and dirt and get dirty and do what you have to do to be the very best God wants you to be. So that when you get over there, you'll enjoy retirement. Listen, I don't know if there's boats in heaven, but, and I get that everything in heaven, you'll have the right attitude and all that stuff, but trust me, if you get to heaven and somebody's got some giant yacht and you've got a dinghy, before the Lord wipes away all the tears at the, at the, after the great white throne judgment, there's going to be shedding a tear going, you know what, I wish I had that and I'm stuck with this. Or you get up there, okay, let's talk, there is mansions in heaven. If you get up there and see somebody else's mansion is bigger than yours, if you see Herbie's mansion and it's ginormous and you go, I wish I had that mansion, and you look at your little shack and the Lord is going to go, yeah, and I gave you the ability to have it and you chose not to. 
because you laid up treasure here and now instead of where moth and rust, I mean, you laid up treasure here where moth and rust corrupt instead of where I told you to. See, the Lord says there's 12 hours in the day. What are you getting done with your 12 hours in a day? Is it just feathering your nest? Is it just taking care of your stuff? Is it just doing what you need to do? Where's your testimony with that? Why are Christians known as lazy people? Why, when a guy comes into my office to talk to me about a job that I've never met before and immediately brings up the Bible, I'm immediately skeptical of him. That shouldn't be the case. There was a time where when you put on your bank application that you went to such and such a church because it meant something. It meant I'm a member of a Baptist church. Guess what? This is a guy in good standing. They call your church to find out whether you pay your tithe. And all of a sudden, guess what? You could get a loan because you were in good standing in your church. I haven't seen a loan application in years that asks what's your biblical affiliation or your religious affiliation anymore. Why don't they ask? Because Christian people got lazy. And they tend to be worse than worldly people. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that the world outworks us. Do you realize that we have hospitals because Christians built hospitals? The world didn't build hospitals. The world didn't build universities. Christians built universities. Christians built most of the good things you have in society. But now all of a sudden Christians are laissez-faire, hands-off. I mean, I've... We're, we're looking for the rapture. Amen. Look for the rapture while you swing your hammer. In Nehemiah, they laid brick and held a sword in the same hand. They're doing two things at once. You can still look for Jesus and be a good employee. Or if you're an employer, you can look for Jesus and be a good employer. You don't have to be bad. Let's get back over there. But those are things, those are traditions that Paul taught us. Um, look at... Uh, Look at verse 16. He says, And now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, in every good word and work. Everlasting consolation. Look over at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Look down at Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content in such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Boy, isn't that some consolation? So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. When's the last time you said that? Remember then that which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. Those are consolations. Those are things that we're supposed to console ourselves with. I mentioned Titus 2.13. Get, uh, turn back over to 2 Thessalonians 2. He says, comfort yourselves. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he talks about uh, that our tribulations in our life are to be able to comfort other people. Look down in verse chapter 3. He says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the, world, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Paul's asking for free course that the word of God can go out and, and have an effect. He's saying, hey, pray there's an open door. Pray, pray that this thing goes out. Pray it gets something done. Pray we're not hindered. Pray that nobody's holding us back. Pray that, pray that, nothing, else, pray that nothing keeps us from getting the word of God out. And verse 2, he says, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Not everyone, who, not everyone is going to see the truth or believe like you and I do. And for you, for you and I to spend hours trying to convince somebody who will not be convinced is a waste of your time. Paul says, A, a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject him. Give them two shots at it, and if they don't get it, then walk away. And if you, if you get an opportunity to give them the gospel a second time, fine. If you get them an opportunity, maybe it's a saved person who just doesn't get the doctrine you're trying to show them. If you get a chance, the Lord opens the door, then fine. But you're not responsible after the second time. 
And too often times, I, I, I mean, I've, I've seen it in my own life. You get into conversations with people and you try to convince them, not necessarily because you really want them to get it, but because you want to be right. You keep having the argument just because you want to say, I won the argument. Well, then that's the wrong reason for the argument. The argument is to get them the word of God, to get them the truth so that they'll see the Jesus that you and I see. That they'll see that there is a judgment seat of Christ coming up and they'll see there is a place to stand. They'll see that there is something that they, have to, that they are going to have to face down the road. That it's not just, you know, some fire insurance and they're going to heaven and everybody's going to get the same thing and we're all going to sing Kumbaya. We ain't singing Kumbaya when we get to heaven. It'd be funny if the Lord proved me wrong, but... But this idea that we get there and everybody gets the same thing is just a lie. It's a lie of the devil that we're going to get to heaven and God's just going to give all of us the same thing. No, there's going to be a hierarchy when you get to heaven. There's a hierarchy here. There's going to be a hierarchy there. God does everything decently in order. It's not going to be a communist society when you get to heaven. This idea that, well, everybody should have everything the same, that, that's not Bible. Jesus says, the poor you'll always have with you. Well, why does he say that? Because there's always going to be poor people. You're not going to fix them. Some people, it, some people don't have capacity to handle money. Some people, you could give them a million dollars and they'll spend it and, be done, and they'll be lost a million dollars in less than six months' time. They don't understand what to do with it. It's not good to give a person that kind of money. I'll tell you a quick, just wild story. There was a guy who jumped out of the jail, I think here in Jacksonville, sometime I believe it was in the 80s, jumped out of the jail and broke his leg and sued the city of Jacksonville because they didn't build the jail good enough that he was able to escape. And he won. Got paid something like a quarter million dollars. Spent the quarter million dollars inside of three months buying stuff he had no business buying. Went back, filed another lawsuit, and said, you should have never given me all the money because I didn't know what to do with it, and won another $75,000 in court. Why did he win it? Because he should have never been given it to start with. He didn't know what to do with it. That's the world. There's always going to be a hierarchy no matter where you go. There's always going to be a top dog and there's always going to be a bottom dog. He that's first shall be last and he that's last shall be first. There's always going to be a hierarchy when you get there. Look at verse 4. It says, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things that we command you. Paul's confident that the church at Thessalonica is going to be obedient to what he's preaching to them. Verse 5, he says, And Lord, direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. I've got my Bible written, 2 Timothy 1 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. But of a spirit of fear, but of love. Oh, great day. Power, love, and a sound mind. There you go. It's blanked out. Um, but the Lord's given you a sound mind. If, you're not, if your mind's not sound, then. You're not in the love of Christ. You're not where you should be. And you need to get back in fellowship with it. He says, patiently waiting. How can you patiently wait if you're not looking for his return? Now we command you. Now the next uh, six or seven verses here, he says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we have behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither do we eat any man's bread for naught. But wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, with this we commanded that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we <clears throat> hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat, and eat their own bread." The next seven verses, Paul deals with being a busybody, with working, with gossiping people, and with laziness. Uh, Paul's going to show you biblical separation. 
Um, he talks about in, in Romans chapter 16, I believe it's verse 18, about anybody who teaches doctrine contrary to the doctrine that we teach, that you're supposed to separate them and separate from them and avoid them. This idea that, that everybody is supposed to get along is not right. No, if, if, somebody, if somebody is teaching the wrong thing, get away from them. Avoid them. Stay, stay. There, there is something in the world today that is more dangerous than the world itself, and that's false religion. That's people teaching that there's more than one way to get to Jesus Christ. That's people teaching that you have to do something to stay saved after you're saved. That's people teaching that, you know, there's no eternal reward for how you live after you're saved. That we're all the same. All of those things, all of those things are costing people rewards and judgment of Christ. Do you realize how many people are going to die and go to hell believing Acts 2.38? They're going to believe they have to be baptized and they're going to trust their baptism for salvation. And there's going to be thousands upon thousands of people that die and go to hell because they trust their baptism instead of trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Do you know how many people are going to die thinking that when they get to heaven there's some giant scale and God's going to put your good works and your bad works on either side and when they outweigh one another, they're going to die and go to hell? Well, my, 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 bad, works out, my bad works outweigh my good, so I've got to go to purgatory for a little bit of while. No, they're, they are damning people and sending people to hell by the millions because they think that, well, my good outweighs my bad. And, and they do it under the auspices. They, they build hospitals and they have you know, functions, and they have charities, and they do all these great things, and you go, oh, well, look how wonderful they are. No, they're dirty, rotten liars, and they're the devil. They're teaching things that are contrary to the doctrine that God's given us, and our job is to point them out and to separate, separate from them and go, hey, that ain't right, and I don't want any part of it. And now you have these giant ecumenical councils that have been going on for 30, 40, 50 years where let's, let's get everybody up here together for the betterment of society. No. Everybody needs to get back to the Word of God. And then society will get better. But guess what? Man will not pick up that book. They want to do morally good. They want the moral Jesus without the Jesus. Well, Jesus was a good... Let's just follow His moral example. No. Follow His biblical example. How, how that He died. Guess what? He died to Himself. He made Himself no reputation. You and I are supposed to make ourselves of no reputation. We're not supposed to worry about what everybody else thinks. We're supposed to allow the Lord to have free course in our life, to walk the way He wants us to walk, to live the way He wants us to live, not how we feel like it. But you've got Paul, Paul's teaching separation here. In verse 6, he talks about being lazy. He says, Commend you that if withdraw yourselves from everybody that walketh disorderly. That's laziness. He's saying that being lazy is, is a sin. And if it's a sin, it's akin to murder and adultery and everything else. So how about that 12-hour workday? Verse 8, Paul's setting up an example of, of Paul's going in there. Paul has a right to go into the church at Thessalonica and say, Look, I gave you spiritual food, you should give me physical food. And he doesn't do that. He says, I'm not chargeable for you to that. Because I came in trying to set an example of how you're supposed to walk. I wanted to show you that I'm willing to work, and my work produced fruit, and my fruit was that I could feed myself. I didn't want you paying for anything while I was there because I wanted you to see my example. I wanted you to see how I lived, how I carried myself. Verses 10 to 12, we've already covered those about how to work. Um, verse 13 says, brethren, uh, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Uh, the, there's two scriptures if you want to take a notes. Galatians 6, 9 says the same thing. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says that our labor is not in vain. Um, and if any man no, obey not our word, in verse 14, by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet admonish, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Where is the sweet little Paul that says, let's get along with everybody? I've got... Ten different places here, and we don't have time to go through them, but ten different places the Apostle Paul calls us to separation. In Romans 6.17, he says that, we, that you were the servants of sin, and now you're the servants of, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were one thing, you separated from it, and now you became something different. In 1 Corinthians 5.11, he says you're not to keep company with fornicators, with idolaters, with drunkens, with railers. 2 Corinthians 6.17, you're supposed to separate from an unclean thing. In Ephesians 5.11, he says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Philippians 3.18-20, he says, Don't mind earthly things. 
How about it? Do you know more about the college football playoff than you do about the doctrine of the Bible? You know about who's playing for the championship more than you can give me some verses on how you're supposed to handle money? Or how about some verses on how you're supposed to raise some kids? Or how about verses on uh, sports in the Bible? Colossians 2, he says, 2.8 says, Don't be deceived. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Withdraw from perverse disputings. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 to 22, he says, You're supposed to purge yourselves from vessels of dishonor. In Titus 1, verse, uh, verses 12 and 13, he says, Rebuke a sinner that he may repent. And in Titus 3.10, he says, Reject a heretic. And then in 2 John, verses 10 and 11, he says, Don't even bring him into your house and don't wish him Godspeed. Must be some reasons we ought to separate from some folks. This get together, get together, we're all the same is a, is a lie of the devil. Verses 16 to 18, he says, now the, peace, now the Lord of peace himself give you peace by all means, give you peace always by all means, the Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand. So Paul's writing, maybe, it may be that he, he physically wrote the, wrote the whole book, or it may be that he physically just wrote this closing to the folks at Thessalonica. But he says, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. Now it's amazing, your new Bibles change that word token to sign. Well, if you change that word to sign, you've just now brought in a whole bunch of references to signs that have nothing to do with what the Apostle Paul's teaching. You've now made signs a part of the church and a part of what's going on by just changing the word token to the word sign. You've altered doctrine to where somebody can take false doctrine and teach something the Bible doesn't teach. We don't have time to go through all the things that they altered in all of 2 Thessalonians, but there's a lot of stuff they change in there. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's how Paul closes most of his other epistles. I, uh, let me just say this in closing. It was, I've had the opportunity to teach Romans and now 1 Thessalonians. 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And, you know, it's, it, it's not by coincidence. And I know the Lord guides our preacher and puts him, tells him what to have us guys teach and preach and those kind of things. And going for me, going through the book of Romans and going through First and Second Thessalonians, because First and Second Thessalonians, Dr. Ruckman says, uh, Dr. Ruckman says that First and Second Thessalonians should be read by every new com every new convert before they read Romans or John. Because everything in those two books points them to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they learn that they've got a Savior that's coming back again. And the thing that I've taken from studying this book is that I've got to stop looking at what's going on around me and keep my eyes on where I'm headed and keep my eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and know that He's coming back and that all the foolishness that's going on around me is just a distraction from the fact that He's coming to get us one day. And that whether by death or rapture, I'm going to see Him and nothing's going to stop me from seeing Him. And it has been a pleasure to go through that and to enjoy it. And I hope you've, I'm sure you haven't got to enjoy it as much as I've had because you've had to listen to me. Um, but thank you for listening and thank you for allowing me to teach the book of First and Second Thessalonians here. And I look forward to what the Lord's going to do in the coming year. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed.